Graciously Chosen Community and welcome to Foster My Stories, the achievement-focused podcast for foster care, adoption, orphan, inclusive of underserved communities. I'm your host, Shalina Michelle Tate, and on today's cast episode, I'm super excited because I am interviewing my July community guest live on location, Mr. Lee Carroll. How are you doing this morning, Mr. Carroll? I'm great, Miss Tate. Mr. Carroll, he has so much experience, former military police, sheriff, Columbia Police Department, where he knows my last guest, uh, Mr. Lyman Gibbs. I would love for you, the listeners, just to hear an insight into Mr. Carroll and a little bit about his background. Mr. Carroll, before coming into your experience in those different fields, tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing, like how was your childhood? We'll start from there. Okay, I was born in uh, Greenwood, South Carolina. I left there at the age of 17 out of Scottsville, South Carolina State. But when I got to South Carolina State, they wanted to do this initiation on the football team. And being who I was, I said, I said, nah, that ain't going to happen. So I joined the military. Went to the military, stayed in the military for a period of time. And that's about it. Yeah, so you say you went to South Carolina State. Isn't that where you met Mr. Gibbs? Not the first time. Okay, after I came out of the military, then I went back to state in uh, 1985 after I got the military, and that's when I met Gibbs. Before going to state and before meeting Mr. Ryan Gibbs or whatnot, was there anything in your childhood that growing up, okay, of course, you know, there's a lot of injustice, a lot of things, but was there anything in your childhood part for you growing up that you wanted to individually make a change for? You know, growing up in Greenwood in the 60s, the 70s, you saw a lot of racism. You know, other groups of people come into your neighborhood and destroy it. Ku Klux Klan rally would come through Greenwood and stuff. They had like a little railroad and Greyhound bus station. It was sort of weird that blacks back then and today too, had no power. And when you got no power and they make you feel like you're the least of you, because I remember my dad, he was a bricklayer you know, like different groups of people. And the little white kid would come and call him both. And then my dad would call him sir. At the end of the day, I watched and I watched this and I watched this and I watched. I got to a point in my life that I did not want to be that both. So I stopped laying bricks and stuff. And I started, you know, doing my own little thing, making my own money. And Mr. Carroll has a a thick country southern accent, both boy. Yeah. Yeah, I know communities with definitely the older generation, our grandparents, great-grandparents, the stuff that y'all going through, and to hear it up close, it's touchy subjects, but that need to be talked about. We need to hear more stories like this, more testimonies like this, because healing can come through the form of really telling your story. The little boy that was saying that to your, your father, he was just doing what he was taught and right. not understanding the effects of what that was. He was mimicking what he thought was acceptable. Thank you for sharing that. When you left Greenwood, what was it for you when you made your transition? When I left Greenwood, my father mm-hmm. made me become a man. The day that I graduated, now he told me when I left, stop working for him at 14. And he said, when you graduate or either turn 18, you'll get out of my house. So I thought the man was joking. Uh-oh. I thought it was a joke. So the day that I graduated from Greenwood High, yeah. he had a, a paper bag sitting on the front porch. And he said, you're not coming back in my house. 
I stay at my graduation gown on and stuff. And he kicked that bag out in the yard. It's eight of us. And my seven siblings went back into the house. My mom went back into the house. My dad was the only person standing on the porch. And he kicked that bag in the yard. He said, you're not coming back in my house because you was unruly. So that's fine, but two to three weeks I was homeless. School for state didn't start until August. So for that time frame, I had to fend for myself. But it, it was good because it, it learned me how to survive. Once we went down to state, stayed there for about two weeks because of the hazing part. Then I left state and went into the military. Now the military is somewhat like hazing, but you get paid for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good thing. And then you get to travel all over the world. Yeah. You know, so but Greenwood was a start and a beginning, okay. you know, because I do go back there quite often, and I try to make a difference when I do go back there. When you was talking about your father kicking the bag out and basically kicking you out the house and saying you were unruly, was he saying you were unruly because you chose to go to college and not work with him, or why was he saying he was unruly? At 14, I just told him I wasn't going to work for him anymore because when I would talk to him about these little white boys calling him both, he was like, you need to, you know, stay in your place. You know, my thing is, I wasn't born a slave. So I owe no man nothing. You know, my thing, I was like that defiant one. Now, my brother and them, they went out there and worked, and they still do that. I wasn't about to do that because I said, no, you're not going to disrespect me. Listeners, that is a real thing that Mr. Carroll was talking about, especially growing up in the 60s. Yeah. 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 Right. Especially in the African American culture, you was considered defiant. You right. was considered rebellious. The outcast. The outcast. Right. And his father kicking him out, you know, it sounds so harsh maybe to you as a listener, but that's how it was. It was like either you're gonna do what I say, do or get out of my house. I feel the generation of the day you have it a lot easier, a lot more lax. There's lessons to be learned from his testimony you just gave. His father basically told him, just put your head down and work. But Mr. Carroll did like how I feel. This is me personally. Many of us have to now have our own voice to say, no, I'm not going to take that. I don't have to accept that. I don't have to fall in line with that. Tell us something briefly about the fact that, because that's a real thing too. You experienced hazing. People just call it fraternities and sororities. So tell us about the hazing situation. Too. When I was coming out of high school, I'm six folks, six five. Thin kid, weight about... 190 at Greenwood High, you know, that's considered being big, but when you go off to college, that seemed to be small, you know. And so, at the end of the day, they had these big Samoan compared to them, be a midget, you know, they would cut your hair and then they would pally with this pallor. And my thing is, I wasn't about letting no grown man beat me, so hazing was allowed back then, and you know, because that concept breaking you in, trying to figure out break you in to do what, you know. So, I caught the Greyhound bus. They called the Greyhound bus back, joined the military, and the rest of the history. But at predominantly black college, you get all these different types of people coming to the college. You have stuff that goes on, should not go on. Basically, I went into law enforcement to try to prevent some of that stuff, you know, because you have the least of us. And then you have the strong blood. And sometimes those strong people be your professors yeah. and it'd be the administrators. In college, a lot of drugs and prostitution is happening there. Because a lot of those kids, they are coming from home for the first time. They don't understand. That shouldn't be that way. But a lot of those guys use their power to control the least of us. Listeners, this is not to throw any college or any 
University of Utah's this has happened for years with a capital Y, any institution, any school. So this is nothing new, but for Mr. Carroll to be transparent and talk about it, we need to see all sides of what the perception is. I see that you said that that was really a driving force of wanting to change. You went into the military. When you was in the military, did you see more stuff there that was like, this is not right, and I want to make a change for that? You know, the sad thing about life and as a person believing what you might call justice, you have to think about what is that? Because it ain't no such thing as justice. It's unjust. And like in the military, if you didn't conform with the power to be, because I was a 95 Bravo military police, started out at uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama. And it was sort of weird there too because you had those called redneck and blackneck because the redneck and the black neck really get together. There's abuse in that too. I think you got people you can call upon and go to, but you really don't. So really you have to learn how to fight through your God's will. Because otherwise, people have went in there and got killed. And the system would say justifiable. He got hurt in the line of duty. You know, but actually he got killed coming from a bar. He got killed or she got killed because of criminal domestic violence. You know, and you got a lot of stuff that happened in the military that the military would not never talk about. A military police, you get to see a lot of that. So-called law enforcement are involved in some of this stuff. Because I was stationed in Germany after I left uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama, and you had these different groups of people who used to bring drugs and ship it to the United States through their duffel bag. But the sad thing about it, the military knew about it. The higher up knew about it because it was called that thing under the table. They figured, who could you tell? More real stuff he's talking about. It's like, who's going to believe you? What power do you have? It goes back to what you were saying with your childhood. He was told to just basically put your head down and work. That's right. Stay in line. Right. Stay in your place. Stay right. in your place. And especially in underserved communities, growing up, stay in your place, stay in your lane, stay in your place, stay in your lane. But is your lane, you know, disruptive to your progression? Meaning... You know, I may have been told to stay in my lane as a youth and go along with the crowd, but what if I don't agree with the crowd? What if I don't agree to what's being told? Just like Mr. Carroll was saying, basically he was seen as defiant and rebellious because he went against the grain. He didn't accept staying in your place. Each of us individually have to find our own voice in this and really got given nudge, I like to say. A lot of times that doesn't come until we're older for some of us that may come. Like Mr. Carroll at age 14 or younger, I don't want to say yes to that. So I definitely commend you for just your transparency and everything you was talking about. Real situations that we really don't hear about often. What was your steps in leaving the military? After leaving the military, I went to Columbia Police Department and I was told by Lieutenant Pye, you need a college degree to be a police officer. So we can't hire you unless you got a college degree. So I said, okay. So I went back four years, got this college degree. Came back, because I was determined to be a police in Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> and, then, and then after I came back, applied, I got accepted. And as I was going through the academy, well to do basketball player, yeah. I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> okay. so. We were playing against a group of police officers from Columbia Police Department. Even I was a cadet, and they was already on the police force. And he was a black guy. They never could beat us. The recruit would always beat the old guy. 
And so after I graduated from the academy station over at uh, the substation, and I was told that I was racist. What happened was black guys who we beat, the old guy who we beat on the basketball at the academy went back and spread that rumor. And so they told the white officer. So the white officer was determined to not allow me to become a police, you know, because I was a racist. I don't own nothing. You know, I don't have nothing. I'm just want to be, you know, just want to do a job. I want to do my God's will. At the end of the day, I was put on probation. 95 Bravo, that means military police. I had more experience probably than half of those guys was on the police force. And also I had a college degree. It wasn't about, it was about the color of your skin because they stationed me walking downtown on the beat. The early 90s, they had a lot of homeless people and a lot of people who get drunk and, you know, also on drugs and stuff down there hanging. And they were trying to rebuild downtown Columbia. I was told they must abide by the law. So you're arrested for intoxication. Are you arrested for disorder? But I must have arrested too many whites because they shift me from down there and put me in public housing, a place called Saxon Home. I started thinking the problem was not the people that live in public housing. The problem was law enforcement and the people that ran public housing. It was all about money, yeah. money, power, and how they use those people that live in public housing. And so I was stationed in Saxon Home, and I used to live in 1-1 Saxon Home as a law enforcement. Never wore a uniform. I blend in with the people. And so drug dealers, nurses, doctors who would come out there and buy the drugs, I get to meet these people. And then yeah. I explain to them, that you're not allowed to be here yeah. and not tell them who I am. Because I try not to arrest that many people because me arresting you, giving you a criminal record, I destroys your whole life. Yeah. You know, so I try to warn them and sit down and talk to them and try to explain that this ain't the life you want to have. And then also I used to introduce people to rehab, take some people to the state hospital. They call Bull Street. But now we don't have Bull Street no more. Some Rocket Science got rid of Bull Street for some unknown reason. I got this Hope Six grant to remodel Saxon Home. They invested almost, I think it was 20 some million dollars to fix it up. Cause I lived in one that's one, two bedroom, um, one bath, and it was upstairs and downstairs. It was beautiful. But they tore that down two years later. The reason why it's being torn down, especially if you pay attention, especially recently, um, here in South Carolina, is they're wanting to attract, they're wanting to like rebirth South Carolina. So they are tearing down the areas they feel are less desirable and they're replenishing it. That's why you have a lot of the neighborhoods being shifted, the Saxton homes, the uh, Gonzala Gardens, those places like that, because the goal is real estate marketing, business, money, to shift them out, weed them out, and then bring the desirables in. It's kind of like housing is sitting on property that we feel is valuable, but we can't sell it because that particular community is there. In order to sell it and make a profit out of it, we're going to have to shift that community so we can come in and then make it grand, make it right. the new Carolina State. We can now make it the new USC, the new um, Harvardson. Right. And that system was black and white people your politician, your law enforcement, relocating them people to different areas and giving them Section 8 grant, Section 8 vouchers, or either giving them, you know, a place to go. They gave them a voucher that they know the outside won't accept those vouchers coming from public housing. Yeah. And what they also did, 
because they wanted me to do it as a law enforcement officer to write up instant reports to get them criminal record because according to hood if you got a police report in your file or you got a criminal record Howland Thorne don't have to house you so a lot of people became homeless for instance, Saxon, it happened to Saxon, but I did not do those reports, so they told me I wasn't a team player. And so they eventually fired me. My black brother and sister failed to realize that. But officers ride around in a patrol car do not have power like we think he or she do. That stuff is controlled by the higher echelon. Even your chief of police has no power. He controlled by city council, your political party. Your sheriff department is controlled by money. Leon Lott, that's why he keep running, because he want that power and that perks that comes up under that table. Law enforcement, the power to be never goes to USC to arrest none of those kids up there for any types of anything, or go down to Five Points, or go down to the Vista and hold stings in those neighborhoods. Like cops show they had. Oh, live PD? Yeah, live PD. Where the majority of the time they filmed it? Right there in the underserved communities, right there at gas stations, there in the minority communities. Right, because they know that the power to be will get rid of Leon Lott. You know, because that show pay law enforcement. Then they'll put the nice-looking black brother there, you know, the muscle-bound guy who just came from USC, played football for USC. They'll put them on there, and all everybody's like, oh, he looks so nice. Oh, right. they'll put the little white boy on there. Oh, he looks so nice. And so it's all about the image, and it's all about keeping people thinking that crime only happened in certain neighborhood. Crime happen anyway. And we talking about gun control. You can't never control no gun control. I got several guns. I ain't made in the United States. How they get here? You can put a restriction on the legal gun selling, but how about the black market gun? How do you stop that? You can't. I can buy a gun at the drop of a dime. You got all kinds of people selling guns in the neighborhood. You might go to a gun store and a gun might cost you five, six hundred dollars, maybe a thousand or so. But you can go into our neighborhood and get it for a hundred dollars. How they work? They got hunting rifles at Walmart. Right. <laughs> so it's like they sell those nine millimeters. They sell those little pistol handguns in our community. And you can go to the Masonic Lodge and you buy guns all day long, ammo all day long. People fairly realize we don't have a game problem. We got a social economic problem. And the reason why you got a game problem because grant money comes from game. It's about dollar bill. It's not about this crazy little black kid or crazy little black girl around talking about I'm the Cribs, I'm the blood. Because they walk around with hands down on Facebook. I'm like, boy, you better stop there. And they had a thing called Gang Out. Have you heard about Gang Out lately? <laughs> you ain't gonna hear about it no more because they gave that guy almost a half a million dollars to shut his mouth. They gave him this money and then they brought it into our black church and they brought it into our school, to the black school, and they gave him this pamphlet. They had a guy they called Sosa from the Richmond County Sheriff Department, a Puerto Rican guy, gonna come into a black community and tell you you got a problem with your child. Now, he didn't go to the Puerto Rican people because the biggest game problem we got here is the Hell Angel and the MS-13. Because the MS-13 would destroy law enforcement. Them people don't care. And law enforcement know that. The Hell Angel came to the Capitol. I was up there in me and Reverend Spire and a lady called Dr. Miller. We were supposed to be speaking against them passing this game bill. 2006, 2005. Once we got there, my three so-called people that we marched together with went towards getting this game bill when this guy they called uh, Senator Knott said, I know what I can do. We got some grant money. Them people went south. And I said to myself, these low down people. It was all about money. At the end of the day, money should not be your master. Exactly. And once again, 
in military, law enforcement, and seen real stuff happen in his community. And just know that everything he's saying is not to throw anyone under the bus. It's not to segregate anyone. It's just to speak from a real experience of what he's been through. And that's what we do welcome here on Foster My Stories. We've had other guests who've spoken from real life situations that have they've gone through and know people that have gone through. So we do encourage you here on Foster My Stories. We're hoping you, the listener, will be able to get a better insight into the lives of the guests and what they face on a daily basis, what they've grown up with, what they're going through, or what they've come from. So, and I'm gonna keep saying thank you again, Minister Carroll, for just being transparent about the reality of what stuff is. I love how you say that if obstacles were unlimited, you would love to basically just work with real people that want to help the next generation. Have you Correct. seen anybody so far in your efforts out here that you felt or feel is making positive strides towards that goal? Being 62, great <laughs> time 63, honestly speaking, not really. You know, there's so few that it really don't make a difference. If you believe in your God and you do the right thing, your God will provide for you. Five years ago, I was renting. The sad thing about this whole idea I was still somewhat stuck. It's not like I didn't have the money. Believing that rent is okay. And I learned from my grandfather a long time ago because my granddaddy owned 140 some acres of land, had his own farm and all that stuff. It took me a while to realize why this man want to own his own thing. He would never get nothing on credit or borrow anything from anybody. He would work and then he would pay for his stuff in cash. And I just learned that five years ago. So when I purchased this little house on the hill, I came in with cash. You would never really own it because you're going to have to pay taxes on it. But you don't have to worry about it but once a year. Also, I learned from him, you must treat everybody with the utmost respect. And so you're going to leave here one day. And nugget really of wisdom from your relative about saving your money and using cash. When I was taking a course, um, entrepreneurial course,
listeners about your vision for the Save Our Kids LLC. In 1996, when I was working in Saxon Home, and I saw a lot of our youth did not have any kind of resources, and they were being expelled out of school, locked up by law enforcement. Even though I was in law enforcement, eventually I was going to get out of law enforcement, so I did. I started Save Our Kids, and what we are, we are private investigators. We also in resources to help youth and their parents find resources. Private investigation sector is we will investigate any alleged crime that the school said a child committed to make sure it's the truth. And if it's the truth, then we will make sure that we come to a conclusion that the kid really don't suffer that bad. One little boy, he was five, and this teacher in this elementary school said he tried to rape her. He went into the restroom and he zipped his private part up in a zipper. So he went running out there for help. She started hollering, screaming that he tried to rape her. And so, you know, they expelled that little boy. And it was a black principal. And I was like, something's wrong with this whole picture. So when the grandmother called me, I went there and I confronted the district school superintendent. And he was a black guy and trying to justify the reason why they expelled this little boy. So eventually, once I went to the hearing board, the director for the hearing board said it was a tragic and a shame. So she allowed the little boy to go back to the elementary school, but they got rid of the teacher. It is sort of sad. Also, we deal with law enforcement. If they can put your name on that incident report, they didn't did their job. It could be a lie, but they can care less about that because law enforcement and the criminal justice system that we have today is not about justice. It's about money and power. Not too long ago, a social pastor killed somebody in Finley Park. It was a criminal domestic violence ordeal, but the pastor had nothing to do with it. Somebody called this guy. He went down with his gun and killed this guy. And they said it was justifiable. I'm like, how in the world did that happen? You know, so it's all about who can look out for who. Because at any given time, if the system don't really like you or me, they can come up with a lie and put it on paper and they'll get some silly solicitor or judge to sign off on it. And then now you go through the court and try to prove that you're not guilty of a crime. Because actually, once your name go in the newspaper or go in the news, you are guilty. Because they never come back and say, I missed tape. We made a mistake. So we're going to clear your name. No. I'm going to have to correct you on that one. Okay, Say Our Kids is funded by God and myself. Okay, we ask for funding from no one. Don't want no funding from no one. It becomes about you. And I don't want it to become about you. I want it to become about the people we are trying to help. You know, so we ask for no funding. And then sometimes you ask for funding, people get involved. And they can say, you still in stuff. I'd rather steal from myself than for you to come inside the stove. And you, since the COVID, we are somewhat placed on hold. Once COVID is over, to purchase a building. Okay. I want to purchase a building. I want to have different resources and different people to come in and get space. If you are doing something right with the community, then you can have space for free. But if you're trying to brand yourself and not care about the people you're trying to serve, then you won't get a space. It would be a space you can come in and say, okay, Lee, this is what I have to offer the community. And then we go from there. Okay. Yeah, I was looking on the Facebook page of Save Our Kids and I saw a fundraiser. That's where that came from. So was put on it by a person that I got rid of, oh, okay. trying to raise money using Save Our Kids' name. Oh. 
And and once I found out about it, they had to go because my thing is, I did not give them permission to do that because Save Our Kids was funded by God and myself. And because you go overseas, you can make more money than you can make here in America if you are a minority. And I don't know why a lot because it's tax-free money. And I don't know why we don't go over there because we say, where you going? They get killed because I will always pick the war zone. And God blessed me to come back over here. I would tell people, if you hear somebody holler, Allah Akbar, you better not wait till the bar come out. Because my thing is also, if it's your time, it's your time. Yeah. My God allowed me to come back over here and invest my money wisely. And like I said, we're in the process now trying to find a building with land. You know, teach the kids how to grow their garden. Oh, nice. At the end of the day, probably will donate that property to them yeah. so they can start their own. Because I'm trying to get this thing in Eastover. They got 150 acres. I'm trying to look in and see can I purchase that. We got to stop talking about what can somebody give you. It is what you can give yourself. Because if you work for somebody, you're only their slave. Self-employed is a great ticket. Because here in the state of South Carolina, they have a right to fire you at will. Yeah. So is that your job? That's coming up now in this generation. All they learned was technology, technology. And it would take an individual to come to the realization of, one, the, the value of business ownership. That would have to be a, a desire. Right. That will come soon, but right now I'm, you know, working out of my house. Concentration night is trying to get this building and get this property, and then once I get that, then I will keep you abreast. Okay. And before we go, is there any words of wisdom, any positive advice you would like to leave for listeners who are aspiring to potentially go to college or go into law enforcement or wanting to start their own community-based business to really help the youth? I got two things. Um, one, you must have morals, okay? And the second part, you must be willing to care and to give back. Sure as we're born to live, we're born to die. And my thing is, you might not believe in power to be, but somebody wake you up in the morning, somebody put you down to sleep yeah. other than alcohol, yeah. <laughs> a drug, yeah. and you must learn how to take care of your body. And money should not be your God. Things that you have should not be your God. Especially for young. You know, it's okay for you rent for a couple of years. But you should go into home ownership. Because nobody can come there and take that away from you unless you don't pay that mortgage. You know, but if you pay cash, go to the foreclosure, get your foreclosure home and fix it up. You know, I'll get you a tiny home. My daughter just got a tiny home. Hey, you know what? 
She got a tiny home in Locating Green. She she purchased herself an acre half of land. She owns the land, but you know she got to pay tax on. She owns a tiny home. Her monthly payment is only a hundred dollars a month. Okay, so where do I need to go? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you you go get your you know go get your storage shed. You go to and I'll show you the one that she got, but you get yourself a storage shed. And the only thing you got to put insulation, put the wiring in there, the plumbing, probably no more than probably about twenty thousand dollars. You know. That's not bad with all the payments you make in like you just said, rent. Wasted money. That's wasted money. Like where I stay at now, I've well overpaid for the property I'm staying in. And it's now to the point of being questionable, are you gonna buy the property? And I'm still at a hmm, like I can now buy the property if I want it. But right. now I'm questioning, like, do I really want this property? Well, we'll talk more about that. Right. <laughs> Listeners, if you would like to network with Mr. Carroll on his endeavors, please stay connected at 803-346-6634. That's 803-346-6634. Or you can email him at E L Carroll's C-A-R-R-O-L-L-S-C at yahoo.com. That's E-L Carol. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L-S-C at yahoo.com. Mr. Carol, thank you for taking time out of your day, your morning really, to chat with me today on Foster My Stories. And if your upbringing, community service, or job connects you to the Foster adoption, orphan, or underserved community, I would love to chat at Chosen Child 1984 Facebook page. You can tune in next Wednesday at the new time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Red Circle Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Audible, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. To listen to my interview with special guest for July, Miss Latoya Reed. And remember, being fostered, adopted, orphaned, or underserved simply means you're gracefully chosen. Take care.